right, good morning, church. Good to see you. Merry Christmas. And take out your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, where we're going to be uh, this morning. And um, one thing I would like to amen to everything Pastor Casey said is block party today. Come on back. Um, I know that many years uh, I have been the first one down the ice slide just because I can. And uh, looking forward to that today, um, but really looking forward to having just some fun with the kids and stuff like that. And I and also want to say, uh, if you think of someone, you know what, I should have invited so-and-so, and let me wait till after church. I'm giving you permission. Just go do it during the sermon. Do it right now. You can text them right now. You have permission to do that. If you think of somebody that, you know what, we go to lunch, we might invite them to lunch or something, and then invite them back to go to with us tonight to a block party, go ahead and do that. Uh, take advantage of it. But a lot, a lot of times people are open to things last minute in the Christmas season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Look forward to being with you there. All right, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, and we are in our second week in the series, Do Not, uh, the Fear Not. Uh, when you look at the fear knots of Christmas, you see Zechariah in the temple, you see Mary being told, fear not. Today we're going to look at Joseph being told to fear not, and then next week the shepherds being told, fear not. The coming of Christ into the world, initially there is this fear reaction, and yet also at the same time, Christmas is an um, elimination of our greatest fears. The coming of Christ produces confidence, hope, peace, all these things that eliminate fear in our hearts during the Christmas season. And today we're going to look at Joseph and him being told, fear, do not fear to take Mary home as your wife. So let's look at the context here. Ma Matthew chapter 1, let's uh, meditate on the text of Scripture, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord God, what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us here. Father, we just commit this time to you. And uh, Lord, as we just meditate and hover over um, this particular account. Um, we look at Joseph, and Lord, we pray that as we look at Joseph and your encounter with him, Lord, we pray that you would show us ourselves, that you would shine light from your word into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives, and Lord, uh, that you would help us to apply this, to live more fully for you, and to be used by you in our lives. And so we commit this time to you. Take us where you want us to go. Give us what we need to live more fully for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I would say growing up, I would have to say one of my greatest fears um, it would be the fear of speaking in public. 
hated classes that forced that, like speech, right? How many of you hated speech if you took it? Or drama. We had to, I actually had an elective and I took drama, not real thinking I'm going to be up in front of people. Um, and I remember just hating all of it. And any opportunity that I could avoid such scenarios, I would definitely do that. Um, and the funny thing is, I think if I had to list my fears growing up, high school, college, uh, number two fear would probably would be dying, you know. Um, but number one, public speaking, which means at a funeral, I'd rather be the one in the casket than the one doing the funeral. Um, and that's not odd. Um, my calling and my gifting, though, obviously, the Lord called me. Uh, in the ministry, and he gifted me, which means, by the way, when you say you're gifted at something, it truly is a gift, a spiritual gift. It's not something you manufacture and you work on and you get better at. No, God gives it to you, and you got to figure out what to do with it. And I was given this sort of gift. It's a prophetic gift. Um, and, and what that means, too, is I have these fears of what people think, and yet I was given this thing, this this sort of thing that just sort of filled my bones where... I wanted, I wanted this so badly to be proclaimed, and I really don't care what you think or what anyone thinks. And, and I'm not intimidated by the truth of it or standing on it. Um, there's, this, there's this spirit, power, gifting that goes contrary to my natural uh, inclination, and that's to kind of be afraid of talking in front of people. And then I've got this, this fire in my bones where I want to just proclaim it, and I don't care who's listening. I want God's truth to be told. Uh, and that, that sort of gift was given to me. And, um, and I have this tension between those two things of my fear of what th- people, you know, speaking in front of people and then also not caring and really wanting God's truth to be proclaimed. And so, the, you know, part of, part, and so I had to wrestle for a while, why am I so afraid of speaking in front of people? And I thought maybe it was some psychological damage that was done to me as a kid or maybe some emotional scar that I've forgotten about. Or, and I was like, what is my problem? Like, why am I so afraid of getting up in front of people? And after all the search is done, I finally concluded, this is how God wired me. I'm just shy. I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm not a radical introvert, okay? I'm just like on that side of things. I get my energy from being by myself. Um, and so I tend to study a lot. I, tend to, I like really studying by myself. I love quiet and all that kind of thing. Um, and I spend energy when I'm with people. And so that's how you know if you're introvert or extrovert. Um, but I'm an introvert. I'm shy. I don't really uh, like the spotlight. I just don't. Never have. Um, and never really wanted to, to have that. But I married a hyper extrovert. There's like introvert and there's extrovert and then there's Christy, Right? Y'all know her and you know uh, that, that she's that way. Can't stand being by herself. So the second she finds out and realizes I'm by myself, she gets on the phone with a friend. And so you very rarely will catch her either off the phone or by herself. She's going she's gonna to fill that space because she wants to be around people. And I believe God's will for her life, one of the main purposes of her life is to get me out of my shell. Because that is all I feel like I'm doing when I'm around her. She's taking me to parties and things, and she wants to meet everybody at the party. So she makes her and everybody there. And I'm like, I just want to sit in a corner with one friend and have a conversation. That's it. I, I don't want to make my way through the whole audience. Um, and so this is kind of a thing that, that has happened in, in our marriage. Well, soon after we were married, um, another one of these things happened. She takes me to a party of some friends in her hometown that she has. She went to high school with them all and all that. I don't know many of them. And we go to this Big, this guy's house, he's got a big house, and it's a big party, and, um, and w- it was a, a new thing that was on arrival called karaoke. 
he had bought a karaoke machine. And, uh, and you, know, you know, the books of CDs, you know, you flip through all the, all, and you, you get the catalog of songs that you can pick and which one you want to sing and all of that. So we go there, and she begins to pressure me, sing a song, come on, you know, like, what's the problem? I mean, she has no issue with it, but I'm, like, dying. I don't want to sing in front of people I don't know. Are you crazy? Like, I'd never do anything like that. Um, but then she gets the, the owners of the house together, and they start, like, coordinating pressure to get me to sing and I'm just like hey no you're making me mad like I don't I don't want to do any of that uh it's like stay off but they find their way to kind of go nobody cares you know and everybody's leaving anyway pretty soon we'll find that I, I got so much pressure that I finally said you know I'll just flip through the book you know how many of you gone to a karaoke party and you sit in the corner and you flip through the book the whole time right what song can I sing you know well I looked in the book and there was George Strait amen hey right and I know, driving down the road by myself in a car, I can nail a George Strait song. I can do it. Uh, and I don't need the words. You know, I got, I got all of his greatest hits. By heart, I can sing them all. Uh, so I had a little confidence there. Like, at least I know what I'm doing, you know. And I think I can hit a note pretty well. So, you know, the crowd was dying down. It was getting toward the end of the party, and everybody had their time. And I grabbed the mic, and I was like, all right, I'll try a George Strait song, all right. I found the courage uh, to get there. And I sang that song front to back, and y'all, I have never been the same. <laughs> I get done with that song, I get one good guy in the back, gives me a golf clap, and all of a sudden I am Michael Bublé. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, you know what, I did see an Elton John song in there, and I can sing Elton John too. Let's play that one. We did that song. I did one more, and then the next thing I know, these group of people are trying to pry the microphone out of my hand to give someone else a turn. And even to this day, uh, it's not a fear thing for me. It's actually, a, I, I look forward to being the first one on the mic to sing Georgia Satellites, Keep Your Hands to Yourself. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know who that is, 80s rock. It was beautiful. They're from Georgia. Anyway, go check it out. But I often ask myself, why was I so afraid? I mean, looking back on it, I'm like, man, like, grow up. Like, come on. It was fun. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You know, they kick me out of the party because I'm pitchy? No, they're probably going to have fun with it, right? Uh, are, are they going to stop being my friends because I can't hit the high note on don't stop believing? No. I mean, the worst that can happen is they laugh at me, Right? And who cares about that, right? Everyone. No one wants to be laughed at. And that was my fear. And if you really just start talking it out with God when you're afraid and you really try to identify your fear, it sounds so horrible when you say it out loud. I'm afraid they'll laugh at me. I sound like a kid, you know. Is that a rational fear? But who cares if they, if they laugh at me? But we, none of us want to be laughed at. How many of you, let me just say this, how many of you would be willing to raise your hand this morning and publicly admit that you care about what others think about you? How many of you would be willing to do that? Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, now, if you didn't raise your hand, wouldn't you agree a little bit with me that you didn't raise your hand because you were thinking, <laughs> what would people think? Right? Because I know when I'm sitting in the pew and I'm listening to my pastor preach, I don't care what he asks and raise my hand. I am never raising my hand because what would people think of me, right? I do that. The truth is 
We all care about what people think about us. It is a powerful force in our lives. And it's not necessarily always a bad thing. In fact, many times to care about what others think, um, you, it really is a sign of humility in your life. And so not all contexts are bad to be, care about what people think. But one of the most crippling factors in your walk with God and in your growth as a believer in Christ is you get to a moment where the fear of what others will think trumps your obedience to God. And honestly, there's no way to avoid that dynamic. One thing you'll learn very quickly is walking in a relationship with God is this right here. To obey God is sometimes going to mean disappointing people and facing disgrace. Sometimes it's going to mean that. It's not going to mean all of your life, every day, all the time. But there are going to be moments, and you can't escape them, when to obey God is sometimes going to mean disappointing people and facing disgrace. Joseph is brought to this place in his life. Joseph hears his fiancée is pregnant. I think we all have heard what's the conclusion that every guy would have on that and even everybody in the community. Everybody would say, hmm, guilty of fornication. Guilty. And in that culture, reputation was everything. It was a shame and honor culture. And that's what made you or broke you in that day. Shame and honor. Plenty of reasons here for Joseph to hear this news from his fiancée. Now, by the way, um, fiancée is probably not the greatest word here. We have engagement and then you get married. It was much more about the families getting married in that day. You, you had dowries involved, contracts. They, were, they have been pledged to be married probably for some time in their life by the fathers. And, and so this is a giant complicated contract to try to undo. They haven't consummated yet, but it's a, a very complicated situation here, and it's not easy to get out of such a situation without a lot of social mess involved and the whole families being involved and a lot of brokenness that comes in that. But in that day, because reputation was everything, it was especially important that he publicly separate from her. Um, in that day, saving face was the most important thing. And the way you save face is he would have to publicly show, I had nothing to do with this. This is not my doing. And I want everybody to know that I was not involved, that I'm innocent of this, and I want to make sure that my reputation is not marred because I'm in this situation. So publicly, he would want to do that, and it would be a righteous thing to do to make sure that his reputation stayed intact, but also to show that I'm righteous. But to publicly separate from Mary would ruin Mary. She begins to get classified in another class. Um, she begins to be treated in certain ways. She loses a lot of support. She loses a lot of family support. She loses a lot of social encouragement. Um, there's a lot that she loses in her day as a woman in that day and having that on her record. Um, there's a lot of, of uh, shame that comes comes with that. And so Joseph is going to do something quite gracious for her. He's not going to do the public thing to save his face. He's actually going to do it very privately and he's going to try to minimize the damage to her reputation as much as he possibly can. But that means that Joseph even was willing to absorb some of the shame and the optics of it. 
by doing it privately. So here is, this is where he is in the situation of decision making. And it says the angel of the Lord visits him in a dream and says, do not be afraid, Joseph, to do what? To take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid to take her to be your wife. Don't be afraid to receive Mary. I'll give you a couple of things. For Joseph, to receive Mary is also to receive, first, a perception of guilt and shame on himself. Think about that. For him to receive Mary meant that, that, that he would be also receiving some of the optics from the world around him, the society and his friends that, oh, well, you know, people can kind of do the math, right? Count months. When did y'all get married? Oh, and you had a child six months into your marriage. And all of a sudden the math's being done and, you know, no one can kind of deny that. Um, he will look guilty. And the perception is, is him and Mary were guilty of fornication, which is a huge no-no in their day. Deeply shameful for both families. And he's taking that on as, yes, that's a possibility, but I'm going to obey God here. But next, classification of sinner. You said we do not see the word of sinner. Um, we think all are sinners, or you might use that word in a lot of ways. But in that day, that was a classification of a person in society. They were a sinner. And what that meant was that they are a person that disregards God's law. They live the way they want, and they disregard what God says, and they disregard God's law, they disregard God's temple and his presence, and they just live however they want. And those people were classified as sinners, and they were, they were treated with distance. They were not given a place at the, at the end club, if you will, of this particular society. And unfortunately, the optics of this would cause her to be placed in a sinner and Joseph would be taking on the rapport of a sinner. And he would be entering into that classification as well. Job opportunities might go away. Friends aren't so friendly anymore. And that's what he's taking on when he receives Mary. The optics of that. But he's also receiving God's word. God has spoken. God has revealed his will. And he is receiving God's word by receiving Mary. And to believe God is one of the highest values that God places in his word. That Abram believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. In other words, you hear this great pleasure in the heart of God when someone hears him speak and believes him. And Joseph here shows he believed God. But to receive Mary also, and think about this, to receive Mary was to receive Jesus. And you know, when, when you receive Jesus, you get everything. Even when he's, Joseph is receiving Jesus as a child, he's still receiving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My father-in-law told a story, and I was not going to share this, not in my notes, not prepared, but I was driving out to Dripping, and this story hit me, and I said, okay, maybe this is the Lord, I'll just share it. My father-in-law used to tell this story. Back during one of the world wars, there was a very wealthy man who owned a giant estate and he was an art collector, art dealer all across the world. He had very, very expensive art all in his estate. Um, he had a son who went off to war and that son was killed in war. 
But one of the soldiers that was that, that his son's best friend, feeling compassion for the father, painted a picture of his son um, and brought that picture to the father. And the father, knowing art, knowing it wasn't good, it was a friend's, it was kind of a rough job, but it was a picture of his son. Well, he put that picture in a prominent place among all the other art in his, in his whole uh, collection. And um, he dies. And in his will, he says he's going to auction off the whole estate. And so all people from all around the world gather to, to be a part of this, knowing that he has these, these art pieces. And um, the auctioneer comes up and he says the first piece um, to be auctioned off was that picture from his soldier friend that was a rough job. Um, and he wanted to auction it off first. And so the auction went up, no hands raised, obviously not, not, a, not a great piece of art. Uh, but the butler, who had worked with the father for so many years, was in the back. And obviously the price wasn't that much uh, for that piece of art. And so the butler raised his hand, and he was the only one who raised his hand. And the, you know, going once, going twice, sold to the butler, and he took the, the, the son's picture. And then the auctioneer comes up and says, auction is over, hits the gavel, and everybody's shocked and surprised. It says, because in the will, the father stated, whoever gets the son gets it all. Well, when you get Jesus, you get it everything. Everything. What compares? Amen? What compares? Eternal life. The King of kings and the Lord of lords loves you. You can't lose. You get that when you get Jesus. Nothing that happens to you in this world, you can't lose. You win. Nothing can ultimately harm you because you have Jesus. Well, when Joseph received Mary, he received Jesus. And whatever hardships might come from it, so be it. I get everything in the end. For Joseph to receive Jesus meant to face the reproach that came with Jesus, though. There is a reproach that comes with Christ. Y'all realize that? He faced it. He came to his own, and his own received him not. They bore reproach upon him up to the cross. The Bible talks about the reproach of Christ, that there's a reproach that comes to the Son of God into the world. And a reproach just means to be disgraced to be um, shamed, to be ridiculed, to be insulted, to attack, if you will. In Matthew 5, 11, Jesus himself said this, blessed are you when others revile you, and it's the same Greek word we use to say reproach, when others revile you, reproach you, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account because you're with me. And Jesus is saying to receive me is to receive the approach that comes upon me by this world. And then the Bible says that there's a level of reproach that we'll receive from the world when we receive the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 13, 13. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Let's join him in his reproach. Let's bear it with him. And so we're called as followers of Christ to follow Christ, knowing that when we do, it could be likely that we will face the same reproach that he did. And let me talk to you about the reproach of Christ. 
Joseph received the reproach of Christ in this moment. Three things I want to share with you that the reproach of Christ involves. First, belonging. The second Joseph receives Mary as his wife, Joseph is declaring, I belong to Mary. Mary belongs to me. Mary's reproach belongs to me too. Belonging. Belonging. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Mary. This is what Joseph is saying. You know, when we receive Jesus, we are showing that we belong to Jesus. We belong to him. And the reproach that the world has against Jesus now becomes our reproach. But further than belonging to Jesus is the belonging to the people of Jesus, the family of Jesus. And there's a powerful verse in Hebrews that encourages all Christians to be like Moses. And listen to what it says. You know, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's home in Egypt, but he's an Israelite. And Israelites are slaves. Egypt are rich. (laughs) And he grew up in the rich house being identified with slaves ethnically. And so here he is having this tension in his own life. But there comes a point in his life when he's got to make a decision. Am I going to continue to enjoy the riches of Egypt as an Egyptian? Or am I going to belong to the people of God and take the reproach as a result? Look at Hebrews eleven twenty six. 26. He considered the reproach of Christ. This is talking about Moses, by the way. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So the reproach of Christ may come in the form where we are seen as belonging to the people of God. I belong to the church. I belong and I am the church, the people of God. People around us may categorize us by the fact that we've chosen to identify with the group, the family of God. And you know, yes, there are things that happen by people in the church that we're not proud of from time to time. It's that uncle that, yeah, he's my uncle, you know. He did the thing. But he's my family. Bearing Christ's reproach means that we choose the reproach of Christ over the comforts of this world. By belonging to the people of God. I want to walk you through this. In America, here's what's happening. 60 years ago in America, and I may say 70, 80 years, 60 or so years ago in America, belonging to God's people was expected culturally. If you lived in America, 40s, 50s, early 60s, you were expected to be in a church somewhere. And it was the cultural sort of vibe. I mean, that's just kind of the expectation um, that was there. And to not go was kind of frowned upon, right? 30 years ago, that cultural pressure had kind of evaporated. It was neutralized. And so people who were kind of going just because of the cultural pressures or being a part of a local church or being identified with the church, when the social pressures to be a part of that were gone, what they started doing was saying, okay, it's good for them, but it's not good for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not be part of that, right? Um, and, but at the time, the people that were not going still viewed the church, the people of God, as good. In other words, good for society, 
that they provided a moral uh, fabric for people. They help the poor. They do things that are helpful for society. Statistics are showing this progression. Today, it is increasingly becoming true to belong to the people of God. The people of God are harmful to society. And that is a switch. And that is a different context. And we're going to need to be prepared for a different context than we've ever seen in America. The context where we are viewed as harmful to the society we live in as believers in Christ. And we have to be prepared for that. There is a reproach coming. I say this, it could be in our near future, but we're going to have to face some real persecution that maybe we haven't faced in a while. And the temptation in those moments is going to perhaps be to disassociate. But to receive Jesus is to belong, to belong to his family. Joseph received Mary, and he was stating, I belong to Mary. The reproach of Christ involves not just belonging, but believing. Joseph believed God's word. What did Joseph have in his experience, in science, in observation, in evaluation? What did he have that would sort of say, yeah, virgin, conceived, without a man? Nothing. It goes against all science. <laughs> There's nothing there. What, do you, what did Joseph have to do? i got to believe what God said. It contradicts everything I look, everything I see, everything I experience. I know. It seems impossible. That's why it's called a miracle. I have to believe God above my senses, beyond my senses. The same is true for you and me. The reproach of Christ can come in the form of our commitment to the word of God in our generation. And we are believing what God has said over everything else. We believe in a God who created the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing. We believe in a mago dei. Human beings are made in the image of God, by God. And every human being, as a human being, has certain God-given rights that are to be honored by all governments. That is a Judeo-Christian doctrine. That is a belief. That is a teaching of the church. It just happens to be useful by many people who would rather throw out the other stuff. <laughs> but that is a Christian teaching. It's not just come, our founding fathers didn't just make up that, right? It's totally founded in what God has said. And we believe it. We believe in a fallen and sinful humanity that is separated from our creator due to sin. We believe there's only one way for humanity to be reconciled to our maker. And that is through faith in the son of God, Jesus Christ. We believe in the virgin birth. Miraculous virgin birth. The deity of the Son of God. 
his sinless life, his atoning death for sinners, his resurrection on the third day. We believe in justice. We have a foundation for justice. All wrongs, according to God's law, need to be righted. Justice for all. Perfect justice. No bribery. No oppression. Equality. Again, a Judeo-Christian doctrine, a belief. Equality. Just so happens to be popular. So we don't have to defend against that one, do we? We believe in the right to life for every human being, from conception to natural death. Made by God. Needs to be defended. We believe marriage was instituted by God and is between one man and one woman for life. He brought about marriage. He defines its parameters. That is a doctrine. That is a belief. We believe sex is for marriage alone. It is not a physical act only like eating. You get a craving and you satisfy it and over with. No big deal. No, we believe sex is sacred. Sacred. And if you believe what God has said about sex and you operate accordingly in this world, you will be laughed at and scorned by this sex-crazed culture. You will. We believe Jesus Christ will come one day and judge the earth. And every man will be judged according to what they did in their lives. They will face God. They'll give an account of themselves to him as their maker. I could go on and on about beliefs, right? But what we're basically saying is you are charged to own this, to believe what God has said in spite of what it brings on us in this world. The world may go, okay, I like that belief you have, and I like this one, but throw all of those out. And we don't have the privilege, we don't have the ability to cherry pick what God has said we're going to believe and what he has said we're not going to believe. We hold to the word of God. In spite of all our senses, where anything contradicts what God has said, we believe what God has said. What is Joseph doing here? He's being faithful to God. So not only belonging brings reproach, the reproach of belonging, the reproach of believing certain things that might be offensive to certain generations, but then behaving. There's a reproach that comes from behaving in ways that align with what we believe. Joseph woke up and it says he took Mary as his wife, like did it. Uh, here's the thing. Joseph couldn't save face in this account and obey God. It was going to be one of those. If you save face, you're going to disobey God. But to obey God means you can't save face. It's going to look one way. And he had a choice. And he obeyed God. And that's huge in our lives. From time to time, you will not be able 
to escape being put into a corner in this world and being forced to choose whether I will obey God or save face. There are times when you're going to run into that fork in the road, do what Joseph did. If you want to be used by God, you must be ready to face criticism for your obedience. That's the bottom line. You're going to run into it eventually. If you want to be used by God, you must be ready to face criticism for your obedience. Let me ask you this. You wake up tomorrow morning and you decide, I'm going to do what Joseph did. Is there anything in your life where you would actually do something that you're currently not doing because of what you believe? That's a good question. Where I would get up tomorrow morning and I will do what I say I believe. What would that be? Has anything changed for you? Maybe not. Praise God for that. But if by way of application... Joseph woke up and he married Mary. <laughs> what, what is in your life that maybe you've been putting off because of it might bring some hardship to you if you really obey God in that? What would that be? What would that be for you? Let that question just saturate in your heart for just a second. And as you're thinking about whether you would do it or not, let me encourage you. Trust God by doing what he says. I want you to think about this last thought before I close. All Joseph had to do was receive Mary. That's not highly complex. It's not highly complicated. Marry her. It's a simple decision. All he had to do to obey God was a simple thing. Not really that big of a deal. But I want you to think about this. We are in Austin, Texas in 2021, roughly 2,000 years after this occurrence happens with Joseph and Mary. And this month, a third of the globe is going to look at the story of Joseph being faithful. A third of the globe is going to look at his faithfulness. Let me ask you this. Let's just say Joseph faced some reputation scars because he did this. Where are they? They're gone. They are remembered no more. And yet a third of the globe is going to look upon Joseph. Who's in control here? Perhaps Joseph saves face and we don't know anything about him. It is often the case that God works in extraordinary ways when we simply take ordinary steps of obedience with him. Amen? Often the case. Ordinary act of obedience. Not complicated stuff, simple stuff. But when we choose to obey him in the simple things and the, and the things that make sense, oh, how God uses our lives for his glory. Will you trust him? How do we conquer our fear of what others think of us? We become obsessed with what God thinks of us. If you become obsessed with what God thinks of you, what others think of you tends to go down quite a bit. Amen. Let's be obsessed with what he thinks. Have courage to stand for him in our generation. 
to be faithful to him as Joseph did. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for this snapshot of the life of Joseph and his faithfulness to you. And Lord, we can look back on it 2,000 years later and we go, yeah, it's simple. I mean, who wouldn't do that? And yet in the moment, I'm sure Joseph really, it was really hard. It was tough. And Lord, would you take that and apply it to our lives? Where is a place where to obey you might be tough in our lives? And yet you're looking for our faithfulness. It might not be a big thing, it may be small things. Oh Lord, give us strength by your spirit to walk in obedience to you. And Lord, we thank you of the future that we have because we have you. Lord, because you came to this earth for us and we receive you, we have everything. And Lord, help us to walk in the strength and the faithfulness of a child of God. Help us walk toward our fear rather than avoid it with you. Bless this time of response as we sing this song. Lord, would you um, speak to our hearts, take us where you want us to go. Highlight that thing. Holy Spirit, would you just minister during this time? Give us courage, Lord, to commit that to you and to walk in your ways more fully. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. We stand with me all across the room. Let's sing this song. Let's do business with the Lord as he's leading you.